This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver. Two years ago, Colorado said yes to reintroducing wolves to the Western Slope. Urban voters loved the idea. Ranchers hated it. But we voted for it. And now we finally have some sense of how it will actually work. Because last week, Colorado Parks and Wildlife published their long-awaited wolf drop plan. CPR reporter Sam Brash is on today to explain how our vote could impact our state's landscape. Today is Wednesday, December 14th, 2022. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Sam Brash, welcome back to CityCast Denver. Glad to be here as always. So Sam, I'd love for you to explain like how we got here. Like why does Colorado need to be reintroducing wolves in the first place? I think that's a question of how far back you want to go, but let's just go back to the most logical place. The reason we're here right now is because in 2020, Colorado voters very narrowly passed a ballot initiative called Proposition 114. And this initiative essentially did two things. It ordered the state to reintroduce wolves somewhere on the Western Slope by 2024. And it said the state had to fairly compensate for any lost livestock that the wolves might, you know, prey upon. Uh, that's all it said, and it was part of this bigger effort to kind of renew wolf conservation in the Rocky Mountain West. You might know that wolves were already reintroduced in Idaho and Yellowstone National Park, but state governments up in Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, they've turned against the species. So this was seen as a way to sort of revitalize the project and create a single wolf migration corridor all the way from Canada to uh, Mexico through the Rocky Mountains. Can you explain to me why folks want wolves to repopulate? Like, what does that have to do with Colorado or, or just like our everyday experience here? I think there's a few reasons there. One is totally biological and science-based. Wolves are a top predator. And there's an idea that when top predators are on a landscape, whole ecosystems are a lot healthier. There's this famous video that a lot of scientists have now uh, questioned called How Wolves Save Rivers. But the basic idea is that when wolves were reintroduced into Yellowstone, they pushed uh, elk and deer herds away from waterways, which let vegetation regrow, allowed beavers to move back in. This is a very simplified story and more work on trophic cascades say it's it's way more complicated than this. But it's one example where scientists think, hey, maybe having a predator back on the landscape, it encourages biodiversity and a healthy ecosystem. I'd say the, the other reason is is pretty political. I mean, the eradication of wolves in the uh, 19th and early 20th century was a project of white settler expansion across the West. It was one of the ways that 
this whole region became, uh, you know, a place where ranching was prioritized as an industry and raising livestock was prioritized in an industry. And it's a, and it's a political symbol in that way as a way to sort of go back to a more wild version of North America. And I think it's a political symbol, too, in, in a way a lot of people might not think about. Wolves are uh, not usually a kind of species that states are very good at managing. Top predators, they you know feed on other animals that states like Colorado sell hunting t- licenses for. And so this was a way to sort of force Colorado Parks and Wildlife and the state in general to prioritize a top predator like wolves. So you're, you're kind of getting at this, but I'd love to look at sort of the two sides of this fight when we think about who, who is for and who is against wolf reintroduction. The, the two sides here are conservationists on one side who see wolves as a really important piece of the ecosystem that has been pulled away by human interference. And on the other side, ranchers who worried that those wolves are going to feed on their cattle and hunters who worried that those wolves are going to decrease the availability of deer and elk that they hunt each fall and, and you know put meat into their freezers each winter. And I want to fast forward to now because Colorado Parks and Wildlife has just shared this draft plan on how wolf reintroduction is going to happen. Um, but before we get to the plan itself, can you tell me how how the plan came together? It, it sounds like th- these folks that you've just talked about, these two sides have had to kind of work together to make this plan. They have. So what the state did after Colorado passed this ballot initiative is it formed two different working groups. One was called the Technical Working Group, which everyone abbreviated to the TWIG. The other was the Stakeholder Advisories Advisory Group, which was the SAG. So we got the TWIG and the SAG. The TWIG's job was to figure out kind of the science of wolf reintroduction. The SAG's job was to figure out the human impacts of wolf reintroduction, like what happens when they feed on cattle and stuff like that. They met for months to recommend policies. Those came out, you know, over the last year. And then Colorado Parks and Wildlife worked for even more months to put together this final plan. And the members of those advisory committees are conservationists, ranchers, hunters, anybody who really has an interest of the wolves was sitting on it. And this was supposed to be sort of a consensus plan that the state could actually implement. What it doesn't include is other groups like Wild Earth Guardians and uh, the Center for Biological Diversity. They weren't sitting on these panels, and they've been very critical of this plan, mainly because they think it doesn't start with enough wolves and it doesn't set targets for the wolf population to grow to a point where it would be self-sustaining in the state. So it's a consensus among the groups that worked on it, but there is a large contingent of groups who think it doesn't go far enough. Okay, that's fair. That's that's good to make it clear because it's not just like, we disagreed. Now we came together. It's like, it's still, it's complicated. Absolutely not. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. 
There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. So, Sam, last week, Colorado Parks and Wildlife published their plan to reintroduce wolves to Colorado. What's the plan? So so the top line here is that the state is planning to release 30 to 50 wolves over the next three to five years. That gives them a lot of flexibility, right? And it can also recalibrate you know, all kinds of things based on how those wolves behave, including, you know, Colorado Parks and Wildlife says it's really important that it has the legal power to kill wolves if, if it needs to. And that's another thing that's really upset that contingent of environmental groups that, that don't love everything about this plan. Is the ability to use lethal means to sort of fight back against the wolves, right? That that's the that's a point of contention here. Absolutely. Yeah. The the state is saying if wolves are, you know, feeding on too many cows, if they've say moved into Aspen and are killing pets, they should have the ability to kill those animals. And right now, they absolutely do not. Wolves are a federally endangered protected species in Colorado. So they need to get permission from the federal government first to put this plan into action and and have the power to do that. And they're calling the plan an impact-based approach, which is kind of vague. What is an impact-based approach? Like, what does that mean? What they're really getting at is the main factor in the overall success of wolves on the landscape. It's not going to be the biology and the habitat that Colorado has to offer. We have the largest elk herd in the world. About 280,000 elk live here in the state. So we have incredible wolf habitat and Pretty much biologists agree that once they're here, they're going to repopulate pretty quickly. When they say impact-based, they're saying the biggest factor is going to be how people react to wolves on the landscape. And they want to make sure that they think about those impacts, what they're going to be, and can they mitigate them, can they reduce them, and can they really promote coexistence between wolves and people. And I want to get back to that in in a minute, but I kind of, I know this is going to be hard to just like encapsulate in a, in a short conversation, but I'm assuming they're not just going to just dump a couple dozen wolves and let them run free. Like, how does wolf reintroduction work according to this plan? Well, I think one sort of funny thing is that <laughs> actual wolf reintroduction, that is how it works. It's outlined in the okay. plan. You open a truck and you let them go, right? Like the actual reintroduction itself is, is a pretty simple process. But you're right. A lot of things need to happen after that. The wolves need to be tracked. Uh, they need to be managed. And that that's a whole process. Like they have to attach GPS collars to the wolves when they're let free, maybe recapture them if they have pups to you know, attach collars to those animals. And then there's all these other things to consider. You know, what happens when they kill a cattle? How much is that compensated? Uh, How do you work with ranchers to reduce the possibility of of conflicts in the first place? How do you make sure that wolves aren't feeding on too many deer and elk and leaving none for hunters to, uh, you know, go after themselves or shifting the overall ecosystem in a way that's, there's just not enough, you know, elk and deer, period. Where do the wolves go? Because it was just very broad. It's like the Western Slope, but like, where do wolves go when we reintroduce them? Yeah. So the plan says wolves should go 
in this thing called the donut hole. And what Colorado Parks and Wildlife did is they said, well, we don't want these wolves to immediately run off into New Mexico or Utah or Wyoming. So we're going to reintroduce them uh, 60 miles from each state border on the western slope. So that creates an area that includes Vail, Glenwood, Montrose, and uh, Gunnison. And then the plan said they're going to try to reintroduce them in the in the northern section of that donut hole. What that means is that the first release of wolves next year is going to incur somewhere along the I-70 corridor between Glenwood and Vail. So some of the most populated places in this in the mountains near some of our most popular ski resorts will be the first wolf habitat. That's crazy, but that's a good, I mean, that's a great thing to think about. How do you decide where? And and part uh, of the way they're deciding back to your question on like impact-based approaches is they had someone look into not only what's the best habitat for wolves, but where are people most open to the species? To figure that out, they actually looked at the vote totals in different precincts and created maps that showed, okay, this, this area over here voted more for reintroduction we should probably think about reintroducing there first, as opposed to this part of Colorado that we know is is very against this idea. But they won't be coming to Denver or Boulder anytime soon. Who knows? <laughs> Wolves move very, they move so quickly on the landscape. And so mm-hmm. after this reintroduction, it is a matter of time before they reach the front range. So... Um, you, you kind of brought this up when we're talking about the impact-based approach. Um, what does the plan call for if a wolf attacks a rancher's, ca- a rancher's cow or maybe someone's dog? Ranchers in this whole discussion were really concerned about indirect losses. So when they say that, what they mean is that a wolf kills a cow right now or if an elk eats your hay, you can claim the market value of that lost property from the state and it's compensated at market value. They think that living near wolves creates all kinds of other costs that isn't just the market value of a lost animal. So that might be you know, putting up fencing that you didn't have to put up earlier or things like some studies suggesting you know, cows might have a harder time gaining weight or might have lower birth weights living around wolves. So how do you account for those losses? We're taking the approach that most other states, in this proposal at least, that you know, ranchers will have an option to have their losses uh, multiplied up to seven to one, the market value of that calf or that sheep, if they lose that to a wolf. Interesting. I think that shows the impacts of this kind of legislation is like the legislation itself is one component, but then how it's implemented and what it may inevitably cost the state is a whole other story once the, you know, once it gets rolled out. Yeah, I think the ballot initiative itself, when I was talking to my sources back in 2020, they said this is a very simple proposition. Because to voters, it's just we're basically voting on, you know, are wolves cool? And most people are, you know, <laughs> think wolves are pretty cool. And so that that passes barely. Um, but then there's all these questions about, like, what does that mean? How does this actually work? And, and that was the way it was designed, right? Like, there is a contingent of people who supported that ballot initiative who think the way we've done wildlife management in North America for about a century is wrong, that we need to start giving voters more power instead of scientists. So voters set kind of the the broad prerogative, like bring wolves back, and then scientists figure out how to make that happen. So what is next? The plan has been made public. Like, where do we go from here? Or where do we or when will we see the wolves actually being reintroduced? 
that part is easy. So we're going to see the wolves reintroduced probably next December, so like a year from now. Under the original ballot initiative, it needs to happen by 2024. So pretty clear deadline, and you can really only release wolves in the winter. So we're looking at probably December of next year. Okay, so by this time next year, we may have some answers. We may see how things are going. Yeah, and I personally hope to be there the moment they open up the truck and the wolves run free. Well, Sam, thank you so much for joining me. Glad to be here. And here's what else Denverites are talking about. United Airlines and their mega purchase. The Denver Post reports that the city's largest private employer just bought 100 Boeing 787 Dreamliners. The 787s are mainly used for international flights, so this could mean even more international routes out of DIA soon. The big buy comes as United is expanding their footprint in Denver, and they plan to be operating 90 gates at DIA by the end of 2023. And to follow up on a story we brought you earlier, the Richard Crowther House in Cherry Creek will not be saved from demolition. According to Denverite, City Council voted 8-2 to two against historic designation, with Councilwomen Debbie Ortega and Candy Sedebaca voting in favor of saving the structure. Crowther passed away in 2006. Fellow architects pushed for the designation in an effort to save his environmentally conscious architecture. But it looks like the current owners, MAG Builders, will have their chance to redevelop the pricey piece of Denver real estate instead. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell your favorite rancher about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye-bye. Listen, listen. What I bet it what I bet it's coming from is every game show for kids on Nickelodeon was like a prize package to Hawaii or something. And it would be like brought to you by United Fly the Friendly Skies, you know, like so it's like ingrained in my brain. <laughs>